so on and so forth. So fill it out, um, drop that um, to where it belongs, and, and uh, we'll get you, get you ready to go. Uh, a couple of announcements um, before I dive into our text this morning um, is small groups here at uh, Redemption Church. We call them regroups. We have a brand new regroup starting tonight. So if you guys are looking to, yeah, 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 yeah. So the, the Robertsons, Brian and Sarah, uh, Brian's sitting right there. Sarah was singing this morning. So if you're interested in joining a small group, these guys are just starting, so it's it's on the ground floor. So you don't have to you don't have to worry about like awkward introductions or getting to know people. Everybody's in that boat now, so um, you're good to go. So if there are any, if you're interested, they meet tonight, four thirty to six thirty, at their house. Um, so if you want for more information, feel free to reach Brian and Sarah, or stop them after the service, or you can talk to me or Jeff or Nate. So if that's an interest of you, feel free. I encourage you to join. Um, and then the last announcement that I have before we dive in is this road journal uh, card, uh, pamphlet, I'm not sure what you want to call it, but uh, these are in the back table if you're interested, if you want some. These are actually extremely helpful. So I'm not just giving you something that's not helpful, it's actually helpful. So if you guys are looking or if you're not already studying scripture on your own, these are just super basic questions to ask you read the passage, you ask these questions, you work through it. If you want to write some things down, that's how, you, that's how studying begins. So if you guys are looking or you're not sure how to do this, these are super helpful. We'll be doing, we'll be doing some of this this morning. You'll see ROAD stands for Reading, Observing, Applying, and Determining. You guys will see these as, as we go about the sermon today. That's what we do here as a church and as individuals. So if you want more information, grab those on the back table on your way out. So, um, with that being said, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sean Hawley. I'm uh, the regroup coach here. I help oversee and um, inspire regroup leaders and small group leaders. So, um, and despite last week's sermon or last time's sermon that I preached, they invited me back. So, praise the Lord for mercy. Um, I'm glad for that. I have gone through, some of you guys don't typically go through the first service, but if you haven't listened to the first, sermon, the first service recording of my last sermon, there may have been a blunder in there right out of the gate. And so I have gone through my sermon and deleted anything that rhymes with the word start. So if, if you don't listen to it, go back and listen to it. It's gaining popularity all across the world. So. But with that being said, if you have your Bibles... If you would, turn with me to Matthew. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Turn with me to 6, verse 19. And if you don't have a Bible, grab one in front of you. There's some Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. If you don't know where Matthew is, it's on page 811. So feel free just to flip to that page number if you're not familiar with it. So we're going to be studying the text of verses 24 through 36, but I want to go ahead and read just a little bit more this morning. We're going to start in verse 19 and read through verse 34. So hopefully you guys have made your way there. So let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the, if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we come before you this morning sitting at your feet, not physically on the mount, but in these chairs this morning, hungry and curious to what you have to say. These words still hold truth. They still hold weight. They're still effective in today's culture. They're still effective in our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would submit ourselves to your scripture this morning that we would see the beauty of your words, that we would see through your words the beauty of your face, of who you are, and how much you love us. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for giving us your scriptures for your word. I pray, Lord, that you, through your spirit, would help us to understand, that you would convict, that you would move, that you would change us, and that we would walk in obedience in response to your love for us. Would you do this work this morning? Would you speak through me? And would we all fall more in love with you this morning? That's our prayer, Lord. We trust and we know that you will provide. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What if I told you that there is a remedy for anxiety? What if I told you that there is a way not to be anxious anymore? How would you feel? What would you think? How would you respond? 
I'm guessing that most responses would fall into one of three responses. The first one just being a response of instant dismissal, followed shortly probably by justification. There's no way. You have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea. Who do you think you are? Instant dismissal followed shortly by justification. That's response number one. Response number two, it's too good to be true, followed shortly by doubt. It can't be that easy. It can't be. We would have known about it by now. Why is it not posted all over the internet? It can't be that easy. It's too good to be true. And then the third response is an acceptance followed by desperation. And some of you might be here this morning. Please, please tell me. I've tried everything. Tell me what I need to do. Anxiety, anxiety. We're all plagued with anxiety. Amen? As I was typing some draft sermon titles, as I was trying to figure out what to title this sermon, I had it up on my computer, and my oldest, Aaliyah, she's 10, she likes to look over my shoulder and see what I'm typing. And she read the, the draft sermons. And I'm going to quote her because what she said was hilarious. Uh, she said this. She said, this, this is going to be a good sermon because you get stressed out all the time. <laughs> out of the mouths of babes, right? You know, nothing convicts you more. But we're all plagued with anxiety, even me, especially me. The sermon is for me as well as for you. The disciples and the crowd that were with Jesus were likely just as anxious as we are today. Perhaps even more so than us. They've been waiting anxiously for 400 years for redemption from the Roman oppression and occupation of their God-given promised land. What about taxation? What about distress? Persecution, famine. What about nakedness or theft or murder or injustice or abuse? Just to name a few. Jesus told them very clearly and very plainly, very firmly, do not be anxious about your life. They were anxious people. Just like you and just like me. We are all plagued with anxiety. I received a an email this week, a notification. I work for a general contractor, and part of what our insurance company does is sends out this monthly email about how they can support a more healthy employee. I think it's just not to, so that we're less of a liability. But I think they send out this, this monthly email, and so what they have here is they, they send out just this one sheet thing of how to be a healthier person. And this one... They sent out two this month, and I was so excited about these just because of the timing. It says, the art of waking up refreshed. Parents, you can just dismiss that one. So the second one was just so timely. I don't know if you guys can see that, but it says, the importance of anxiety screening. You're getting screened for anxiety now. And it says this, I'll quote it. It says, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, which is now a thing, I didn't know that, now recommends that adults under, age, under the age of 65 get regularly screened for anxiety. That's a thing now. But is that the solution? Is that the ultimate solution to anxiety? Is, ultimate, is the ultimate solution to anxiety medication? 
Is the ultimate solution to anxiety counseling? These are difficult questions that we're faced with. While these things are helpful, the hard truth in our text this morning is that we, the hard truth of things in our text is that we have to face is that the children of God have no reason to be anxious. So don't be anxious. That's the main point. That's what I want you to walk away with this morning. And I'll say it again. The children of God, those who are in Christ, have no reason to be anxious. So don't be anxious. That's our main point. Now, before we get started, Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 5 says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, you, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because this is true, because God has saved you through Christ and has raised you up, we, are no, we no longer have a reason to be anxious about our life or body. Before we dive into our text, it's crucial to, for us to know that everything that I'm going to talk about this morning has the understanding that this is the underlying foundation. That's our foundation of what we're going to talk about. It assumes that your greatest need, mainly salvation, has already been met through Jesus alone. That's the foundation. Now, having said this, it begs two questions. Don't be anxious, right? It begs two questions. The first question is, why should, I be why should I not be anxious? Why should I not be anxious? And the second question is this, how can I not be anxious? Those are two questions that we'll answer this morning. And we're going to make some observations. If you're looking at your road journal uh, card, we read the passage. Now we're going to make some observations. We're going to make some observations here and break our text into three parts. The first part is going to be the statement or the command, don't be anxious. That's the statement. That's the first part. The second part is going to be Jesus' reasons why. This answers the question, why should I not be anxious? And then we'll close and look at the response or that how, how can I not be anxious? Jesus answers these questions. We're going to look at the statement, we'll look at the reason, and we'll look at the response. You guys with me? Cool. Well, let's start by looking at the statement. It's the command of the text. Look at verse uh, 25. Do not be anxious about your life. That's the statement. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. It's verse 25. Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago, Jesus had just finished what has been called the devotions section or verses 1 through 18. It's chapter 6, verse 1 through 18. He warns his disciples to beware of practicing righteousness before men. He uses the same language in regards to giving, in regards to prayer, and in regards to fasting. Nate preached on that a couple weeks ago. And he says that the reason for such secretive action is so that you and I will get a better reward. Verses 4, verse 6, and verse 18, Jesus says, And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. This is in contrast to performing before men and thus receiving your reward from them. 
Jesus is calling his disciples to pursue a better reward than the fleeting praise of man. There is only one of two options. You can't have them both. You will be rewarded either by praise of man or you will be rewarded by your father who sees in secret. Now, fast forwarding in verse 19, Jesus gets to the main point. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Again, you only have one of two choices. Look at verse 24. No one, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't have them both. You can't Love God and love this world. Therefore, do not be anxious about your life. If you can only choose one, why would you hold a bank account that doesn't have a password when you can have a bank account that is physically impossible to break into? Why would you cash out now when you can have guaranteed, secured, and sure inheritance that will last you for an eternity? Don't settle for the fleeting and temporary riches of this life. To not be anxious literally means to take no thought of or to not be concerned with your life or your body. We are not to be anxious about the food that we eat or the drink that we drink or the clothes that we wear or our bodies. These are temporal things that carry no eternal weight, no eternal weight of reward. There's so much more to life than the fleeting and temporary treasures of food and drink and clothes. This is Jesus' statement, his command. Do not be anxious about your life. That's the statement. That's the first part. The second part, the response. Why should I not be anxious? I don't know if any of you are asking that question. Why not? Now, the wonder of our God this morning, is that he doesn't just end his sermon here. That's not the end of it. He doesn't stand far off and coldly demand obedience. But rather, in his grace and his kindness, he entered in. He subjected himself to the plague of anxiety right next to you and right next to me. Jesus meets us in our anxiety. Even this morning, he tells us why we shouldn't be anxious. Look at verse 26 through 30 says this, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? That's verses 26 through 30. Jesus explains that anxiety is unnecessary. And he does it by using three supportive explanations in order to comfort the unsettled heart of the anxious. So let's look at these three. First off, the birds of the air. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Birds aren't consumed with anxiety about storing up enough food or worrying about what tomorrow will bring. Jesus makes very clear that this verse actually has nothing to do with the birds' ability to feed themselves or their ability to strategize, or their ability to work harder, or their ability to better plan. This verse rather has everything to do with our Heavenly Father's willingness, His ability, His concern, His provision for you and for them. This is our God. This is our God. The Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and of Jacob, who existed in eternal past, who created all things in the span of six days by the power of his word, who laid the foundation of the earth, who shut in the seas with doors, who commanded the morning since your days began, who brings rain on the desert and desolate land, who brings and who binds the chains of the Pleiades and the cords of Orion, who melts mountains like wax before him, who causes kings to rise and to fall, who sits enthroned in flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. This same God stoops to feed the birds of the air who neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet he says, are you not of more value than they? The Lord who created the birds, who knows them intimately, and who faithfully feeds them, will surely do the same for you. For you are infinitely more valuable to him. You are valuable to the Lord. Anxiety is unnecessary. And the children of God have no reason to be anxious, so don't be anxious. That's the first explanation. The second one is, is this, verse 27. In between the examples of the birds and the lilies, Jesus inserts a profound and simple statement that's just dripping with wisdom. Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? As I was thinking about this statement on the way home from work one day, um, I was thinking, it hit me that really in the corporate world, specifically as Americans, we are absolutely obsessed with productivity. We are absolutely obsessed. We are enthralled by the latest studies, the latest magazines, the latest research or books. We're constantly looking for productivity seminars that we attend we participate in clubs and classes. We are constantly purchasing the ever-increasing and updating latest technology. We also pay outrageous amounts of money for consultations, all in an effort to maximize our productivity. We are consumed with trying to figure out how we can eliminate the wasted time or even the, the minutes of our lives at home and at work. We organize our schedules in a way that just maximizes our efficiency and eliminates any waste. And anything that doesn't produce a reward or a benefit of any kind or a small amount is just simply just disregarded, just put away. Now, why is it that we are so obsessed with this truth in absolutely every aspect of our lives but completely disregard this principle when it comes to anxiety? Being anxious doesn't gain you any more time. In fact, it causes you to lose time. 
being anxious doesn't benefit you more energy. It causes you to lose it. Being anxious doesn't actually change anything. It doesn't motivate. It doesn't incentivize. It doesn't stir up action. It just simply withers you and distracts you. You gain nothing by being anxious. Anxiety is unproductive. It's foolish, and it's unnecessary. Anxiety is unnecessary. The children of God have no reason to be anxious, so don't be anxious. That's the second example. The third example is the lilies and the grass. Look at verse 28 through 30. It says this, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, similar to verse 26, Jesus uses a very real and very present yet simple example that demonstrates God's capability. And God's willingness to meet your needs. Not only is he capable of meeting your needs, not only does he know your needs, but he does a better job of it than you and I ever could. In the history of all mankind, it's said that there was none who was wealthier, none who was wiser, none who was more glorious than the king Solomon, son of David, he was considered the peak of all the wealthy kings. He was the most glorious of all men, the most desirous of all kings in the history of man. Yet Jesus says that Solomon, even at his best, doesn't compare to the simplest of flowers or the grass of the field. God is capable of meeting your most basic of needs. And he'll do it with excellence. If he does it day after day and season after season for the lilies in the grass, for some ordinary and temporary thing, how much more will he do it day after day and season after season for something that is so much more valuable to him, you, than the flower? Anxiety is unnecessary. The children of God have no reason to be anxious, so don't be anxious. So that's the statement, don't be anxious, the reason why we just looked at. And so now we'll look at the response. How can I not be anxious? Or those following on the road journal, how can I apply this? So in light of verses 26 through 30, what we just read, Jesus gives us two commands or how-tos in verses 31 through 33. He gives us a negative command first. He says, do not do this. And then it follows up with a positive command or a, a but or rather or do this instead. So with this being said, let's look at the negative command first. Then we'll look at the positive command. Look at with me verse 31. It says, therefore, or so therefore meaning because God can and will take care of you, because anxiety doesn't do anything for you, or because God will meet your needs in a better way than you can, because these things are true. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
It's really that simple. This is a command of Jesus. Jesus sums it all up for us again, saying, don't be concerned with or worry about your life, your food, or your drink. Don't be concerned or worried about your body, your clothing. Do not be anxious, for your heavenly Father knows your needs, and he promises to meet them in abundance and far better than you ever could. Anxiety is unnecessary and unproductive, so don't be anxious. May we be a church that would continue to mature in our desire to walk in obedience to Jesus. The children of God have no reason to be anxious, so don't be anxious. Now, some of you are probably like me. You say, why do I still struggle with anxiety? If these things are true, why am I fighting anxiety so much of the time? I've given this thought some consideration this past week or so, and I'd like to suggest to you two reasons why we still struggle with anxiety. Reason number one is that you and I are in between the already and not yet kingdom. You and I are in between the already and the not yet kingdom. Aaliyah, who is our oldest daughter, she just turned 10 in December, and being homeschool parents, we bought her a fish tank. Bought her her first fish tank, and we put things in it, and we bought fish. We went to Petco, and, you know, we picked out, we picked three fish. And, uh, and if we got it all set up and ready, and if you're like me, and you're as weird as I am, you sit there and you look at the fish, and you say, I wonder what they're thinking. I don't know if anybody else thinks like that, but I think like that. And so I sit there and I look at these fish chase each other and go around in this, you know, four by two by two fish tank chasing each other. And it's like they're surprised every time, like, whoa, where'd you come from? You know, and as they, they swim around and wonder what's going on. But as I was thinking of this illustration, I was thinking of, you know, it's as if we are fish. Sorry, we're fish. <laughs> it's a bad comparison, but it works. Who are meant for the ocean who have been purchased and are waiting to be released into the ocean where we belong. But for now, we wait for our master to take us out of our temporary tank at Petco. It's easy to forget. It's easy to lose hope. When you are surrounded by the Gentile way of thinking, it's easy to lose hope that there's something greater beyond what we see. We have been purchased by our Heavenly Father and wait the day when he calls us home to him. We still live in this fish tank. We still live in the world and are surrounded by those with the Gentile mindset. These are the people who are consumed by anxiety while they feast on the perishing things of this world, this kingdom. You see this all the time. You saw it for three or four hours when you watched the Super Bowl last week. Think of everything you saw in the Super Bowl. Feasting on the anxieties of the body, the food, the clothing, the drinks. You're soaking in it all the time. You hear it in the car. You watch it on YouTube. You talk about it at work or school. Those around, of, uh, those around us who are of this kingdom, being the king of their lives, are consumed with the things of their kingdom, namely food, drink, and money, and their bodies. 
the constant pursuit of more, more house, more car, more toys, more vacation, more food, more drink, more sex, more perversion. There's no life or hope beyond this world, so you have to live your best life here and now before it simply just ends. That's reason number one. Reason number two, what I've found to be true is that anxiety is a symptom of a deeper underlying issue meaning that there is something else that is going on deeper in the heart that causes a symptom of anxiety. What is it? It's unbelief. It's little faith. Unbelief or lack of faith is the root cause of anxiety. The reason why you might still wrestle with anxiety is because you have little faith or a lack of confidence in your Heavenly Father and His promises to you. Whether it's a willful unbelief or an unwillful unbelief, it's a lingering doubt in the back of your mind that God, who you know and believe can do these things, will do these things. Did you notice what Jesus calls His audience at the end of verse 30? He says, We will He not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith. This is Jesus' way of gently rebuking his disciples. And I believe that this is the Spirit's way of gently rebuking me and rebuking you this morning. Do you believe? Not a belief that if somehow you have enough faith, God will respond, but rather a belief that God knows all your needs and is going to meet them. Oh, may we we be like the father of the demon-possessed boy in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. It says, immediately, immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. The children of God have no reason to be anxious, so don't be anxious. Now let's look at the second half of this command, or the positive part of the command. That was the negative, don't do this. Now we look at the positive in verse 31. I'll reread verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. Again, the negative, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now look with me at verse 33. But... But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is the second part of the command, and how not to be anxious. Jesus is saying that because anxiety is unnecessary, because anxiety is unproductive and is of no use to you whatsoever, don't be anxious. But he gives you an alternative action now. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is the response that ties back to the bigger argument. Don't store up for yourself treasures here where it can be lost, but store up a bigger and better treasure that can't be lost. Jesus is saying not to concern yourself with the kingdom here, rather pursue a far better kingdom. A kingdom that is without end, a sure kingdom where your reward will be great, the kingdom of God. This is how you stop being anxious about this kingdom in this life. And brothers and sisters, the solution to anxiety 
is a transfer of your affections. It's a treasure replacement. It's a total removal of our affections and our concerns for this kingdom or this fish tank and everything in it and replacing it with an affection and a concern with a better kingdom or the ocean, which is the kingdom of God where our treasure is waiting for us. Do you remember Matthew chapter 5? The early part, the Beatitudes, verses 3 through 12. The promised treasure is that we will be comforted. We shall inherit a new earth. We will be satisfied. We will receive mercy. And we will finally see God. We shall be called sons of God. Is that not far better than anything else? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To seek is a present tense verb, which means it's a continual and a repeated action. And, it mean, and, to, and to seek means to ask or endeavor or insist or to look for, to require or to search, strive for and try for. We are to be a people who have a relentless counter-cultural obsession with looking for ways in which we can maintain our focus on eternal things. Not things here. Martin Luther said his kingdom is believing in Jesus Christ. His righteousness is practicing and applying the gospel to which faith clings. It's a constant shedding off every concern for the things of this world. It's a constant giving away of all your possessions and the treasures of this world. It's a constant casting off of the cares and the worries unto the Lord because he cares for you. It's a constant and a relentless pursuit of pleasing the Lord with all of, your, of, all of our righteous actions and devotions done in secret and not before men. It's a constant throwing off of every weight and sin that clings so closely and running with endurance the race that has been set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. It's a constant renewal of our minds in all things, saying, this is not my home. I have a better one waiting. This is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, while we wait and at times groan for our treasure to be realized. This is worship. And Jesus' promises, promise to us this morning in our text is that he will take care of everything else. All your needs will be met perfectly. The children of God have no reason to be anxious, so don't be anxious. For work, I recently traveled to Las Vegas, of all places. I work for a general contractor, and I oversee the pre-construction department. I, I help develop projects at, before they start construction. And part of my job is to analyze, quantify, and then uh, develop budgets so that as projects are designed, make sure they're staying on budget. And we work for Clark County School District in Las Vegas. And so I had to travel out there to meet with them to talk about their school that we're building for them. And, of course, it's bad news. Anytime you talk construction budgets, it's bad news. So I met with them, and uh, it required me to travel, and then I stayed just one night in Vegas before I flew home. And in Vegas, I, I normally stay at a hotel on the west side. I stayed on the south side this time, <clears throat> and I'm a new customer. 
a new client. I walk up to the check-in desk, and they say, oh, Mr. Holly, it looks like you've been upgraded to such and such a room. I have no idea what he said. I wasn't listening. And even if I was, it wouldn't have mattered because it didn't mean anything to me. So I got an upgraded room. And so I go up, eighth floor or whatever it was, go to the end of the hallway, and I come to double doors. I've never come to double doors in a hotel room before. I figured I was going into a maintenance closet, you know? And so I walk in, and I'm like, okay. So I put my card in, open the door, it opens. And what opens? This massive hotel room. Massive. Here I am, by myself, no friends, no family, in Vegas, one night in Vegas. Massive hotel room. I mean, you walk in, there's a bathroom to the right, there's a huge couch, automated curtains, full storefront wall, not a window, but you get a wall. There was a pool table in my hotel room, my own personal little mini bar and fridge, and then there was a full-fledged table that seated eight people. And then my room came. It was insane. So I walk into my room, and then there's a hallway, and there's two bathrooms, two full bathrooms with two full jacuzzis, two walk-in showers, two walk-in closets. It's unbelievable. And so as I was sitting in my hotel room, I just, here I am by myself. I call my parents because my wife didn't answer immediately, and I say, you guys have to see this. Like, check this out. I'm a dairy farmer kid. Like, this is amazing. And then my, I call my wife. She calls back. I'm like, you got to see this. This is crazy. So, you know, I'm walking around just showing them this. But for the rest of the time, I sat there in an empty hotel room by myself. And I didn't even get to use all the bathrooms that were in there. <laughs> and so I sat at this table in the corner of this table, and I, wor- I was working on my sermon. And I was just trying to figure out a good illustration of what it means to seek first the kingdom. And I was sitting in there, and I'm like, oh, this is the illustration. And I was sitting there, and I was thinking, no matter how nice you made that hotel room, it would have meant nothing to me. And the reason why is because I would rather any day of the week be with my wife two blocks away. And I would rather be with my children two blocks away than this fanciest hotel room in Vegas by myself. That's what it means. It's a transfer of treasure It causes you to say, this is all meaningless. I want to be somewhere else. Nothing else matters to me. Jeff mentioned last week a song, and we sing this song to our kids at bedtime most nights. It says this. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'll spare you that. It says this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face in the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. This is the solution to anxiety. Lastly, verse 34, it says this. We're not to be anxious about our life. We're not to be anxious about tomorrow. Look at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, the fact is that we will all one day pass away from this life. Jesus doesn't promise that suffering and death will go away, at least not yet. Not yet. But he does promise that for those who are trusting in him for salvation, have no reason to worry about tomorrow, for Jesus already met our greatest need. 
Our salvation is sure. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. When you are trusting in Christ for your salvation, not only are your needs met today, not only are they met tomorrow, but your needs will be met every tomorrow that follows tomorrow for all eternity. The children of God have no reason to be anxious, so don't be anxious. And I want to close with a familiar text. And if I could read all of Romans chapter 8 for you now, I would, but you probably would look, look down on that. So I'll read just the highlight of the end. It's, you're probably familiar with this. It's verse 31 through 39. And it's a huge assurance of the hope that we have facing tomorrow and the reason why we're not anxious for tomorrow. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't be anxious. Let's pray. Lord, it is good and right for us to remember these words as we live in this temporary fish tank as we're surrounded by and swimming in the the waters of a hostile and temporary environment. Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you please help us not to be anxious, looking around and wondering, but may we be a people that are rooted in your scripture and willingly and lovingly submitting to your commands of not being anxious. And Lord, when we find our hearts drifting, would you send a bird to fly in front of our eyes? Would you send a fish? Would you let us see the grass and be reminded of the truths of your scripture, of your provision, of your care and your love for us? Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you that you have died for us, meeting our greatest need of salvation, that we have no other things to worry about. May we be faithful and pleasing to you for your glory to the end of the world and beyond. It's yours, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now we're going to enter into a time of communion. And communion here, we have tables up at the front. We have four, four stations here. So as there will be music playing, you'll come up when you're ready. Come grab the, the cracker, the wafer, and, and, uh, and the cup, symbolizing Jesus' blood and his body. And you can grab it and make your way to your seat and partake when you're, when you're ready. But before we do that, I wanted to just take a moment and remind us of what communion is. Communion is a proclamation. Until that day comes where we eat again with our Savior Jesus in the heavenly realm, until our treasure is realized, we proclaim that his death is sufficient for our salvation and his death alone. And we do this in remembrance. So with that, I want to read from 1 Corinthians 11, just as we get ready to prepare our hearts to take and partake of the, the table here this morning. So if you're not believing and trusting in the Lord for your salvation, we ask that you just simply not participate. This is for believers. This is for those who are in Christ. But with that being said, I urge you and I plead for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus and let your anxieties go and partake. It's open for those who are trusting. So with this being said, I will read 1 Corinthians for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when, he had, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's do so this morning together.